Welcome everyone to the gaming couch. Be it video games, card games, or board games, we'll have a good time playing. So come and join me on the couch. This is your host, Smart Boy. I am tired, but I know why. Games can be addicting at times, and I've been playing a lot of them recently and staying up later than I should be. That's part of the joys, though, of, you know, these immersive worlds we've been talking about. You know, these these game series, these standalone games and stuff like that that are very, not entrapping, but engaging, involved, and enjoyable, you know, for us to play. We can really sink our teeth into them and enjoy what they're providing. Now, of course, you know, the immersive storytelling isn't the only thing. Like, you can have a great story in a game, yes, However, it is a game, and then we have to question ourselves, well, where is the interaction? You know, if this this world is so immersive and it captures our attention, what is it providing us as a player, you know, what is it providing for us to do? What are we able to do to kind of control what's happening in this world and make it engaging and enjoyable for us as players? So, you know, this is where the game genre comes in. You know, you have all the stuff of... You know, platforming games, action-adventure games, first-person, third-person shooters, even visual novels. You know, all that stuff kind of comes in here to explain what it is you're doing as a player to interact with what's going on. And now these genres aren't the end-all, be-all of the genres. You know, there's more to it. So, yeah, you can have a first-person shooter, yes, but the games within the first-person shooter genre can be different. I mean, you can look at just... Halo and Rainbow Six, for example. Both of them are first-person shooters in every aspect of the way, you know. But both of them are vastly different for one very simple thing. A cover system. See, Halo doesn't have a cover system, but Rainbow Six does. So right then and there, it's already changing how you play the game. So in Halo, with my shields that can take a few bullets from me, I know I can just charge out randomly shooting with the shotgun and take my opponent down and I'll be fine. But in Rainbow Six, since there's a cover system and you don't have those shields, you have to plan out, you know, is it safe to poke my head out? Like, if I really want to attack, maybe I need to wait for my enemy to start reloading, or maybe my teammates give me some cover fire that allows me to pop out, you know, run forward with that shotgun. So these game genres can get defined further just by the mechanics of the game itself, these little different details. And so I'm looking at three different really kind of fun and cool little unique games that I've played or have started playing recently of various genres. So I'm looking at Crypt of the Necrodancer, which came out April 2015, looking at Vanquish, October 2010, it's a bit old, and a game called Malifaux, which first showed itself at Gen Con of 2009. So each of these games sits within, you know, their respective standard genre. So you have the roguelike dungeon crawler, the third-person shooter, and the strategy war game, you know, respectively for each of these titles. However, the developers of those games decided to go one step further with each of the games to make them stick out a little bit. So looking at the first game, Crypt of the Necrodancer, which is part of the reason why I've been very tired lately, because I cannot stop playing this game, was developed by Brace Yourself Games. Now, this is a hilariously ironic name for the developers, because seriously, Brace Yourself, this game is amazing, you know, what it has. So 
at first, it's your standard dungeon crawler. You're crawling through a dungeon, fighting a bunch of monsters, and it's a roguelike game. So, if, you know, you ever played Binding of Isaac, you can think of that, or games like Slay the Spire, where, you know, the elements are random. Every run is different. The enemies you face, the way the map's laid out, you know, for each run is different. And therefore, your run can last all of, like, five minutes if you get terrible pulls, or you can get through the entire game in one run in, like, 20 minutes but then replay the game later, and it's completely different. You know, and also in the game, like with the other roguelikes, there's items you can pick up, but the items are randomized each time. So there's a general pool of items that can be provided, but the ones you actually find vary each time based on your run. Now, the reason why I bring up Crypt of the Necrodancer, there's a catch. It's a rhythm game. So on top of it being a roguelike dungeon crawler, it's a rhythm that you have to stay, you know, in sync with. So the music plays, obviously, in the background as you play in the game, but there's this well-defined beat that you'll hear, and then at the bottom of the screen you have this visual with a heartbeat that also kind of shows the beat. So you want to move along with that beat. So as you're moving with this beat and as you're firing the monsters, if you stay in sync with the beat, you get a gold multiplier that increases so you get more money. And, of course, more money means you can buy more stuff at the shop and do better at the game and have a higher chance of completing the run. And if you miss a beat, so if you don't move and you have to move, like you can't just stand still, like when the beat happens, you have to move. If you don't move and miss a single beat, or let's say you get hit by an enemy, that's it. You lost your multiplier, but the song continues. You have to just restart, kill an enemy in sync with the beat to get the multiplier starting again and keep going. And the way the level ends, it's either you defeat the mini-boss of the floor and get to the staircase, or if the song ends, you just kick to the next floor. Now, yeah, you can wait for the song to end. However, if you just stand there not doing anything, you're not going to get any loot. So it kind of pressures you to stay in beat, to get the gold, kill the monsters, get all the loot you can, and then get to the next floor. All right? And everything revolves around this beat. So it's awesome that the enemies, it's very easy to find their attack patterns. Because they jump and move with the beat also. So to make it easy, I'm just going to measure everything in beats. You know, one beat, two beats, whatever. So so you have some enemies, right? Like a skeleton. You'll have a skeleton there, and it'll pause for one beat. It won't do anything. And then the next beat, it'll leap forward. And if you happen to be in front of it when it leaps, you get hurt. So you have to time it. Like, okay, it just moved, so now I can a slash at it. And then jump back. Or if I want to run away, well, I need to jump this beat and get out of the way of that skeleton so I don't get hurt. But then each enemy has their own pattern. So there'll be, like, a red dragon. One of the mini-bosses will show up. And like the skeleton, it pauses for a beat and then hops. So you have a chance before it hops to stab it. The problem is, if you're in front of the dragon on the, you know, to the left or the right on the x-axis there, the next beat that happens... Boom, the dragon lets out this huge fireball attack that does a hell of a lot of damage and covers the entire screen. So you better get the hell out of the way before the next beat, otherwise you're toast. And it just keeps throwing enemies at you. So you're moving with the beat, trying to dodge all these enemies while attacking them. Because the way attacking works, there is no other button for attacking. You simply attack by moving into an enemy. So if you go to move, but you collide with an enemy and you're the one colliding with them, like you're pressing the button you'll instead use your weapon and automatically attack. So you can get various weapons that then change your attack pattern. You'll still attack you know, in sync with the beat, but you might have longer range, or you might attack in an arc around you with your weapon. 
but it still adds to the challenge because you're still trying to attack with the beats. And since you don't have any special buttons for your attack, it just does it while you're moving. It's a blessing and a curse. So, like, there's a broadsword, which is a weapon I love using, and that attacks everything in front of you. So, like, the square directly in front of you and the square to your left and right in front of you will be hit by this broadsword attack. So it's great when you're trying to take out a bunch of enemies running at you. It sucks, though, because let's say you're trying to dodge this golem that's about to pound the floor in front of you, but there's a box next to you. Oh, well, I'm going to attack the box instead of moving. Crap, I should have jumped the other way to, you know, I should have jumped up away from the golem in the box because my broadsword just screwed me over. So you got to, it's a dance, you know, you're keeping in tune, trying to move with that dance, trying to dodge around and fight all this stuff. And it's just, it's real fun because it is, it's think of like, you know, DDR. You're hitting the pads with your feet, but instead you're just using the keypad, your four arrow keys with your fingers instead. So think extreme DDR, but with your fingers because everything's mapped to that. So your movement, your attacks automatic while you move, you get various items and spells you can use. And let's say, you know, you have up, down, left, right is your movement and you get a spell. Well, the spell will get automatically mapped and it says if you hit up and right at the same time you do this spell and you have to hit that with the beat so instead of moving you cast a spell so it's just synced up and you're just doing something different with your fingers and because the spell will hit one enemy but it might not hit the other okay i'm casting the spell dodge move up attack go to the right move here and like you just you just move and you're moving i get excited over it because the music's just amazing they have this wonderful original soundtrack every floor has their own song and it's not like randomized so you get used to the song. So if you keep retrying the zone, you get used to the song, you get used to the beat, and you get familiarized with it so that you'll improve. And the music's amazing, so it never gets old. Even though you might hear the same song over and over again, you never get bored of it. And let's say you do get bored. Well, they were brilliant because what they decided to do is you can upload your own MP3 music files to the game and use them instead of their original soundtrack. So you can jam out to your own playlist while playing this game, and it does all the work for you with the beat and everything. So you never have to worry about it getting old. It's just phenomenal. And it's, it's challenging for that reason, because you're trying to move with the beat, dodge the enemies, attack them, learn the enemy's attack patterns, and each enemy has a different attack. One enemy might be moving pretty slow, like a golem, but they have to worry about the goblin sneaking up behind you who's running really fast. So it's like, okay, I can attack the golem quickly because it's pretty slow. But if I attack it too much, this goblin will stab me. And now I'm attracted by the goblin. Oh, crap, I'm in the way of this golem that's now going to kill me in two hits. So it's challenging. And you know why you lose. Like, if you ever die, you know, like, I died because I missed that beat. Because the enemies only move with the beat. They only jump forward or they only attack with the beat. So learning the beat helps you defeat the enemy. So you understand it. You understand your death, and you're like, yep, yeah, I, I fucked up there. I know what happened. Let me learn from that. So it's great. If you're interested, pick it up. It's on PS4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, the PC. You know, I recently bought it on Steam. I'm loving it. I'm on Zone 3. It's complete and utter hell. The mix of enemies you have to deal with. And I'm trying to persevere through it. Being tired is not helping, but that never stopped any of us before. So hopefully I'll have some better news in a week and have some progress made. (laughs) So 
moving beyond the roguelike games, we bring in Vanquish. So Vanquish was brought to us by Platinum Games, and they teamed up with Little Stone Software. Now, Platinum Games, we know about. They've released a pretty good slew of awesome games in the past, and they still do some decent work even today. So what they did with Vanquish is this really fun, you know, standalone third-person shooter in a futuristic world. So you take control of this guy named Sam Gideon, who's a soldier trained to use what they call the augmented reaction suit. And you, in charge of Sam, and you're teamed up with this group of Marines, you're trying to take over this space station that has been overrun by Russians and an army of robots. That's a short and sweet version of the story. You really don't need to know anything else because the game really comes out with its fast-paced action and shooting that's going on throughout the game. So, you're fighting all these robots as Sam. And the suit that Sam has has this thing called the Augmented Reaction Mode. And to keep it short and sweet, we're just going to call it AR Mode. So the AR Mode kicks in automatically when you reach low health. Now, I believe in the lore of the game, the idea is you essentially speed up. Like, you're moving really, really, really fast because your reactions are augmented. Now, to make that make sense in the game, it just slows down time. So essentially, you're slowing down time when your health gets low. So that way you can react to everything going on and take cover. So it's pretty cool that, you know, you'll get hit by this rocket, go flying through the air, and the augmented reality kicks in. And now you see everything slowing. You can actually see the bullets moving through the air. You can see another rocket being fired and just kind of like casually walk around everything to get to cover. Now, it's not as casual as I make it sound because it is very fast-paced, and the suit overheats. So you'll be fighting like 30, 40, 50 enemies on screen at a time. Your augmented reality will kick in, but it only buys you a few seconds because eventually the suit overheats by speeding up your reaction. And then once it overheats, it has to cool down for a while. And during that cool-down period, you can't use your augmented reaction. So you have to find cover or kill everything that's causing you a problem before it runs out. Otherwise, you're going to be mincemeat. Because there's a lot of bullets coming your way. Now, if it was just that, it'd be cool, but it wouldn't be enough. So what they decided to do is, not only do you get the AR mode kicking in at low health, you can force it to go into AR mode. So let's say you're at full health and the suit's perfectly fine, it didn't overheat yet. You could roll out of cover, hit the trigger, and actually start AR mode and essentially slow down time on your own. And then during that time, you can then just start unloading with your machine gun, taking down all the enemies in front of you, and just wipe everything out. Also, what you can use is these boosters in your legs. So you can essentially, like, rocket boost. It's like jets attached to your legs, and you'll skid across the ground. And while you're skidding, you can still shoot at the same time. So you can, like, slide across the battlefield, mowing down a bunch of robots, and then jump into cover using those boosters. Now, all of this that you can do, yeah, you can trigger it, but it all adds up to overheating the suit. So you're trying to manage that energy because if you use all your energy doing the boost and shooting at enemies, but you didn't make it to cover in time and then you get shot at, well, your augmented reaction won't automatically kick in because the suit already overheated and now you have to wait. So you're trying to manage all this in this bullet hell type setting because that's what the game set out to do and it does it very well. You're fighting a crap ton of enemies. A lot of them have rockets and some of the larger robots you fight and some of the bosses will launch like... 50-something rockets at you while using two Gatling machine guns, so you don't want to be out of cover, or at least you want to have augmented reality ready so that we can shoot all those rockets out of the air and not get murdered. It's fun, though. It's an adrenaline rush. Like, some of the robots that are larger than your average ordinary foot soldier, you know, they won't go down as easily. So you're trying to look for some weak points. 
So it's great when you jump out of cover, decide to go rocket boosting across the ground up to this massive robot, out of the boost, drop kick this guy. So you're doing a backflip in midair, you trigger the AR mode, pull out a machine gun, unload into him, switch your rocket launcher, shoot a bunch of enemies in the back, blowing them up, and then land on the ground when your suit overheats, and do all that in a matter of like five seconds. It just feels amazing, and it's great, and I love it so much, and it's balanced too. Like, the AR isn't designed to make the game easy. It's just a tool. It's your best friend, and it's an amazing tool. However, the game is designed that even with AR mode, there's so much going on on the screen that you won't just trigger AR mode once and wipe the screen clean. Like, you'll be going through AR mode a number of times to get through each firefight, and you could get through a firefight without AR mode. It would just be a little harder. And then, again, with the overheating mechanic, it's not like AR mode's the win-all. It's not like you just trigger and, like, okay, I'm fine. Like, that'll buy me, like, three, four seconds, but then I have to still get back into cover and monitor everything and make sure I still have enough ammo also. So it's all kind of works together, wrapped up in a nice, nice, neat, tidy bow to give you an, a pretty fair experience. And the game has a number of difficulty settings from easy up to like, you know, very hard or something like that. And they have like what's called God mode, which is just completely asinine and ridiculously hard to do because the enemies just pretty much annihilate you in one hit. So you're really learning how to manage that AR mode to get the biggest bang for your buck. And also it is designed for speedrunning. Like the end of each mission, it actually shows you the amount of time it took for you to get through the level, the hits you took, the amount of deaths you had, and then also like you're teamed up with a bunch of Marines, so it'll also show you how many Marines died. Because during the game, if a Marine is shot, they might not die, they might get wounded. And then if if you find the time and you run over to them, you can heal them to get them back in the fight, and then they'll drop ammunition for you that you can then, you know, pick up and use so you're trying to monitor all these robots shooting at you trying to manage your ar mode so you have enough in reserve to react to what's going on around you and you know trying to make sure your friends stay alive because one they give you ammo which is great and two usually don't do much but it is nice to have the friends around like they might not do a lot of damage but it's it's still something and it also provides you some cover because the robots might be too busy finding this group of marines allowing you to kind of run around and get the flank on them and take them down so it's, it's a nice little neat thing that's added in now you see that in a lot of other games like helping out your allies so the augmented reaction suit is really where vanquish shines sadly they never made a sequel to the game and you know the game is now over eight almost eight years old at this point and I really hope Platinum Games goes back and does something with this. They don't even have to make a direct sequel to Vanquish because the story ended that it could. If they wanted to, they could go back and revisit the storyline to make a Vanquish 2. They don't even have to do that. Heck, I'd be happy if they just took this concept of the augmented reaction suit, you know, call it something different, change a little bit, and then, you know, release a game with similar mechanics. It's, it's, just, it's just fun, man. It, it's When you feel that powerful that you can kind of control time a little bit and manipulate it it allows you to do so many cool combinations like i said boosting out drop kicking someone shooting rockets all at the same time there's a thrill to that you know it it, it gives you a rush beyond just shooting the enemy i don't know that i, I could be just talking at my ass right now i just i'm gonna play this game again now because talking about it is m making me want that high again of 
shooting guys up in slow-mo, pretty much. But the main point here is, if you're looking to also experience this and you're really curious about what I'm yapping about on and on and on, you can get Vanquish on PS3, Xbox 360, and they recently released as a port on PC through Steam. I've heard some iffy things about the PC port, but heck, if you don't have an Xbox 360 or PS3, it's still an option, and I'd say pick it up anyway, just to kind of get an idea. I recommend using a gamepad if you're on uh, Windows PC, because again, those reactions, you're going to be almost like clawing the controller and pressing a bunch of different buttons to make sure you're making everything work the way you want. So make sure you have a gamepad on hand. But, you know, give it a shot. The game's a little old, so reduced price is always helpful. And, you know, check it out. See what it's all about. And now the, the last game that I brought up before to kind of get off my little contact tie of talking about Vanquish and kind of mellow myself out and not talk your ear off too much is the game Malifaux. So Malifaux was cooked up by the team at Weird, and they spell it as W-Y-R-D. You know, very weird, right? <laughs> Get it? Isn't it hilarious? Ah, I laugh myself sometimes too much. So, Malifaux is a tabletop skirmish war game. Now, if you ever heard of the game like Warhammer 40k, or played like classic D&D with tiles and miniatures, you've got an idea of what Malifaux looks like. And for those of you who have never experienced a tabletop war game before, essentially it is you're playing like on a tabletop, and you use little figurines that are like, you know, an inch to two or three inches, you know, tall. It kind of varies based on the miniature. And you play out war games. Like you move your models around the table, attack other models to complete, you know, various objectives or, you know, whatever it is the game has in store for you. So the way Malifaux was designed, the world that was designed around it, it is set up in a very creative kind of 1900 style world. The lore of Malifaux starts back in the late 1700s, and then the timeline goes all the way up to the 1900s. If you're really interested, go to Weird Games, go to their website, and they actually have a whole like kind of history of the lore of Malifaux uh, over the years. But the gist that you need to know is that it's in the 1900s, and this thing, this event happened called the Breach, where essentially like there was this tear in reality in a way, and all sorts of like you know magic creatures and bizarre things started to spill out in this city of Malifaux. And now, you know, the city's kind of broken up into various factions that are now fighting for control of various things, trying to survive, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And there's also an element of steampunk in the game. And I'm a pretty big fan of steampunk and cyberpunk. So, you know, it's a nice little touch of the bizarre to have that steampunk element going on there. And one of the factions called, I believe it's the Guild, and also if you look at the Outcast, you really see that steampunk vibe thrive there, and they're really cool. Uh, so let's just get into how this game works. You know, that's what we're here for. So the game is played like many other tabletop war games. You and your opponent set up an army of miniatures on a standard three-foot-by-three-foot board with a bunch of terrain, you know, objective setups. So, you know, use tokens or whatever to show the objectives. The terrain's just there to keep you from having, like, perfect line of sight and mowing down your opponents before, you know, anything really happens. And you have to complete the various objectives to score points and beat your opponents by getting a number of points. And what's pretty cool is that there's what you call schemes. So you will have a scheme for the round that your opponent might not have. So you're both trying to complete your own objective that your you know your opponent doesn't know about while fighting them at the same time. So it's a fun little thing thrown in there. And 
as with these other tabletop games, you know, each unit you deploy is a character with a special card tied to them that provides a number of unique stats and abilities. And because of those stats and abilities, there's a cost. So you can only afford so many points. Usually 50 is a standard game. You get 50 points to use on creating this army of different minis from a certain faction. Again, this sounds like, you know, Warhammer 40k, Blood Bowl, a number of the other tabletop games. All familiar, right? So where does Malifaux come in? You know, why am I talking about Malifaux instead of these other games? Well, unlike those games, Malifaux uses what they call a fate deck. So when your standard tabletop game, it's a roll of the die. You roll the dice to see what happens. So what the guys over for Malifaux did, they decided, you know what? Here's a deck of cards. And it's called your fate deck. Now, victory is all determined on your deck. So if you're trying to cast a spell or you're attacking someone in combat or anything like that, what you do is you do what you call a flip. You reveal the top card of your deck. And then whatever numerical value is shown, you use that value plus whatever your stat is to determine a success. So you're trying to like hit a target number to cast a spell, or you're trying to beat your opponent's defense stat. So if you're attacking an opponent, you have an attack stat, and you flip the top card of your deck. You Let's say you flip a 7, and your attack is a 6. So 6 plus 7 is 13. Okay, I scored a 13 to attack. Your opponent, let's say, has a defense of 7, and they flip a 3 from their deck. My defense stats is 10. 13 beats 10, the attack goes off, you hit me. And then from there, you do another flip with the deck to determine damage. So it all comes down to this deck flip. You know, what? essentially, what's fate? You know, what do the cards have in store for me to figure out if I can win or not? Now, it doesn't just stop there. So... You know, it's all about the flip of the cards, and there's a way that you can change it using, like, abilities from your leader or something like that to allow your figure your figures to do maybe, like, a double flip. So you can flip two cards, and you get the highest value instead. You know, so it's starting to push a little bit that you're trying to alter fate a little bit in your favor by flipping additional cards. Yes, but let's go even a little further than just that, because that's still like a dice roll. Essentially, you're still, like, rolling dice, but instead you just turn your card over. To give you a shot, you can do what we call cheating fate. It's an actual thing in the game. So each player at the start of the game draws six cards from the top of their deck to put into their hand. And then that is their hand for the rest of the game. Now, let's say if they lose any cards, they can draw back up to six cards each turn. But essentially, that is your hand to cheat fate. So let's say, let's use our scenario from before, where one player flips a seven and scores a 13, and the opponent only flipped a three and scored a 10. Since the opponent lost, they have the chance to cheat fate. So they can look in their hand, and if they want, they can play a card from their hand that replaces the card they originally flipped. So even though the deck said, you got a three, you're supposed to lose, the player can be like, you know, no, no, I don't want to be hit. I'm going to cheat fate. I'm going to play a different card and say, instead, you know what? I actually scored a 14. And sorry, man, I'm I'm playing a seven from my hand. I'm going to score a 14 and actually win this defense and not get hit. And you can do that with just about anything. You know, when you're defending, when you're attacking, when you're trying to trigger an ability, cast a spell or anything like that, you can cheat fate. So it's not just the numbers. Some triggers and some abilities call to have a certain suit being shown at the flip. So let's say you score that 14 and you win so you don't get hits. But it says, hey, if you revealed a ram suit on your defense flip, an ability happens, you could cheat it and said play a ram so let's say, you know, you played a 7 that was a tome. Well, I wanted to be a ram, so I'm going to play a 7 of rams in my hand. 
oh, that trigger goes off now because, look, I played a ram. So cheating, it's all about cheating fate, essentially, which is great. So not so it's not just rolling die, you're cheating fate, and then it adds a bluff to the game. So since you and your opponent have a hand of six cards that is replenished each turn, so you're not below six cards, you only get below six cards during the turn, you have to bluff. So the first time I played the game, my opening hand, I drew two king cards, which are 13s in the game. You know, the highest in the game is a 13. So I had two of those. So two of my four 13s were in my hand. Now, that, is, that does sound amazing because, yeah, essentially, you know, unless my opponent has a really high stat that I'm versing, I essentially guarantee a success because it's a 13. But here's the problem. Let's say I get cocky and I play that 13 right away first turn well now the 13's in the discard pile and i lost it you know it gets shuffled back in my deck yes but i no longer have the guarantee 13 so it's a bluff you know okay do i play the 13 now to score the win so i don't have it later or if i play this 13 you know my defense is a four my opponent's attack is a six if i play a 13 they could still play an 11 or 12 to at least tie or win the combat, and then I'd just be wasting my 13. Is it worth it? Do they have a card to beat me? Do they want to play that card? So now you, you, you have to have a poker face. You know, it's not just smart tactics and praying to the dice gods that you win. It's smart tactics and can you bluff your opponent with your poker hand? Like, it's it's really fun. So, you know, these other games, it comes down to a die roll. Here, with the cheating of fate... It, it makes you kind of happy on the inside. Like, you know, I can't help but smirk a little bit knowing that I have the chance to bend the rules in my favor. It also makes me giddy that in this game, on top of its, you know, pretty unique mechanic, it's very wacky with the faction. So, you know, behind me on my desk, I have a bunch of pigs I need to paint. I have an entire army of pigs, so I'm cheating fate by using pigs. It, it's just, it's glorious. It's hilarious, you know? So, I say look into it, like, if you've had experience with tabletop war games in the past, and I've caught your interest talking about this whole Fate Deck thing, definitely, you know, check out Malifaux, do some research, see what it's all about, you know, and then consider buying into the game and, you know, finding some people nearby to play it with, you know, definitely. Yeah, so let's just talk about this. All these games we brought up obviously have their place in the genre of choice. Again, whether it's a dungeon-calling roguelike, a third-person shooter, or a tabletop game, they have those standard elements there that makes that genre. However, they all brought that unique twist to the table. So each game is remembered fondly for what it brought to the genre. And this has happened in the past with other games. Now, there are games out there that might lack a good story or fall short of, like, the high bar of the, you know, first-person shooter genre. But because they did something a little kind of cool and different, they're remembered. You know, just a quick note, like, Amnesia the Dark Descent. Yeah, it's an adventure game. It's a horror game. You know, it's very atmospheric like other horror games. But you have that sandy meter you're worrying about. So as you go insane, things start to get distorted and weird and wacky. So people remember it. You don't have to be groundbreaking in being, you know, fancy, looking great, having an amazing soundtrack, and being in the new era, you know, just do something unique. There's nothing wrong with what works. Like, if you use the formula to make a game and the formula works, that's fine. There's also, you should think about, there, 
some, there's something to be had by risking it and putting a spin on the familiar and trying to kind of make your own. It doesn't always work out, but it's something to think about because these are the games that we remember. Not only are we immersed in them and we love them fondly, you know, remember them fondly, but there's a reason why we do because something about them stuck out. Either they're very nostalgic to us, like for me, Crash Bandicoot, which I am definitely buying. It's coming to the Insane Trilogy. is coming June 30th to PC, and I am picking it up. That's just nostalgia. And there's other things, like I said, Vanquish, that it was just a third-person shooter, but I'll remember it just for what it let me do with augmented reactions. Think about it, and definitely think about you know the games that you've played. What was unique about those games that made you remember them so fondly? So, I just want to make a quick announcement before uh, we close out for the day. So, I just brought up Malifaux, which is a tabletop war game. Now, if you were ever interested in trying to get into the tabletop wargaming scene and you live within the New York City area, which means you can just get to Brooklyn, I have an offer for you. So, on July 8th, from 12 to 7 p.m. at New Brand Gaming, which is near Sunset Park in Brooklyn, where you're going to have a Frostgrave demo day. So Frostgrave is this wonderful fantasy war game that is set in the frozen city of Frostgrave, where you take control of a wizard and a band of mercenaries and essentially just go out to get the treasure that has been long forgotten. And you're battling other wizards in their war bands for control of this treasure. It's very fun. It's easy to pick up. It's a blast to play. So myself, along with other members of the New York City Frostgrave group, will be there to teach you, and we will provide everything. We'll have the rule booklets ready. We'll have miniatures for you to use. I will be making up some wizards and warbands. So you don't have to worry about doing that yourself. You can just get right into the mechanics of it. And if you're interested in the game, we can definitely sit down and talk more about the mechanics. But essentially, you just have to get, bring your appetite for adventure that day to play. Also, we have a special little prize for participants that day. You'll be getting a specially designed challenge coin that has been created by the Frostgrave group that is handed out. So think about it. All the details about the event, including the address of new brand and other little details, can be found on the event page on Facebook. All you have to do is search Frostgrave Demo Day to get the details. And I hope to see you there. So take care, everyone. Until next time, this has been Smart Boy. Join us every Sunday at 8 p.m. for a new episode of Gaming Couch. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at Gaming Couch for news and updates. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, shoot us an email at gamingcouchpodcast at gmail.com.